Welcome to the Metaphorist's Magazine podcast, your home for beautifully made speculative fiction. The magazine is edited by B. Morris Allen, and I'm your host, Matt Gomez. This week's story is When Darkness Falls on Edinburgh by C.J. Eric. C.J. Eric writes in multiple genres, publishes novels in a space fantasy series, and dabbles in poetry. He lives in the Dallas area with his wife and their rescue superhero dog, Saber Girl, calls his sourdough bread starter Ursula, Kate Le Guin, and cooks crazy good Cajun food for a Midwest Yankee. Find him online at cjericfiction.com. That's C-J-E-R-I-C-K fiction.com. On Facebook at cj.eric.9 or on Instagram at c underscore j underscore eric. That's C-E-E underscore J-A-Y underscore E-R-I-C-K. Let's jump in. It was Gavina's favorite image of Edinburgh, the spire of the Gothic Scott Monument rising above the skyline of rainbow-colored shop fronts on Victoria Street, with the setting sun lighting the monument's peak in golden fire. The colored shop facades marked Thomas Hamilton's redesign of the original Bow Street in colorful Flemish sensibilities, the renaming when the Queen ascended the throne in 1837, and a salute to gay pride. Or, for Gavina, white light manifested as a spectrum by the faceted glass of an aged oil lantern. Walking down the curving narrow street was like walking backwards in time, perhaps to the era of the witch burnings. The smells of food and wet stone sounds of hawkers and music, and light dazzling in the mist were spectra for the senses. Moist air oddly blowing from the south brought mist, pale as her translucent skin where it peeked from beneath her dark cloak. Her pale skin spoke of delicacy, fragility, something precious. She hated her skin sometimes. Victoria Street led to Forest, then High Street. She paused there, looking west toward the castle. The brownstone buildings on each side of the street were like hands reaching up, with shops like bracelets around their wrists. In the valley of their open palms sat Edinburgh Castle, lit to golden red by electric lights, the turbulent deep turquoise and gray sky above it like ocean water. One expected great fish and whales and mythical creatures, perhaps selkies, to swim in great grand circles above and around it. She reached the shop, hers now, an old one hardly noticeable among all the other tourist traps along the street. The sign above the door was faded just to the appropriate shade of ambiguity. Miss Aileen's Mysteries and Potions. Suddenly, she felt tired, as if gravity was pulling her into a smaller, squatter version of herself. God's mighty and fay, I miss you, Ayla. We need you now more than ever. Dusk was giving way to night when she unlocked the door with the old skeleton key which seemed to warm when it found its home in the old brass lock. The only light in the shop was coming from an old Oban whiskey sign on one wall, the one Captain Petter refused to throw out. The light was good, though. It kept her from barking her thin shins on the displays and counters as she winded her way back to the old office. Petter was there, even though she'd told him to take a few days off to enjoy fishing or hiking. He missed the highlands like the raven he was, but he was a lovable raven. One with a snaggled beard and feathery hair grayed by more age than he would admit. At times, one might see a shadow clinging to him as if he were a spirit afoot. Darkness took no pity on the poor man, Aileen had said, which was his punishment for defying it. Petter sat hunched at their big wooden desk, snoozing over a leather-bound book older than he was, probably. She picked up his plate with breadcrumbs and bits of cheese and the glass with dribbles of milk and took them to the tiny kitchen at the back of the shop. Not much of one, really, just an old one-burner gas range with an oven too small for even a loaf of soda bread, a sink too small for a decent-sized pot, and the tiny, grungy window that looked out on the alley behind it. When she returned to the little alcove, they called the office, he'd awakened and poured himself a short glass of brown, oily liquor, whiskey reeking like a bale of wet peat. He offered her the bottle, but she declined. She fancied a wee dram now and then, but not at the moment, not with so much on her mind. She slumped into the wooden rolling chair opposite his, 
the one worn smooth by decades of polishing by Aileen's self-proclaimed iron butt. Like the door lock, it always seemed warmer than expected. The captain pushed the old book he'd been reading across to her, the black leather cover worn at the edges, but otherwise well kept. What's this? she asked. Something the lady wanted me to give you, at the right time. Right time? For what? I don't know, lass. Maybe it will become apparent after you have a look. The book looked sturdy and heavy enough, but she felt it might explode into black and yellow dust if mishandled. Inside the front cover lay sheets of folded paper, newer than the book, a few years old at most. She unfolded them and found words in Aileen's hand, two pages, one a few lines of verse and the other a personal note addressed to her. She felt a quiver. How long have you had this book, Petter? Long enough, and that's all I'll say about it. Why didn't you give it sooner? Like three months ago when she passed. Like I said, Gavina, the lady told me to give it to you when the time was right. She said I'd know when. She was right. And you know it too, don't you, lass? I don't know what you mean. Yes, you do. Yes, damn him, she knew. Look for the chill wind coming from the south and not from the north as it should. Watch for flocks of dark birds riding high in the evening wind. Feel the tremor in the earth like a deep growl rising from the boughs of it. She'd noted all these things in recent weeks, but the wind was an odd late-season cyclone. The birds were flocks starving after fires on the mainland of Europe, crossing the channel in search of food. And the vibrations she felt, construction work around the palace. Rollers and shovels and cranes moving large sections and blocks. Nothing unnatural in any of that. All explained by known things. The signs will always seem to be usual, Gavina, Aileen had said. The ominous will always be hidden in common things. She said you must read the notes, prompted Petter. She slipped the pages out of the book, unfolded them, and pressed them flat on the desktop. But to read Aileen's words would bring back the heartache, resurrect the pain that had plagued Gavina in the hard weeks since she and Petter had held Aileen's hands where she sat in the big upholstered chair where she'd insisted they place her. They'd watched Aileen's slowly, shallowing last breaths. Gavina chose to read the letter first. Aileen's writing was still strong and straight, not the hand of a woman dying of cancer. Dear Gavina, I must start by saying I am sorry. I hope to deal with the coming storm myself, but it was not to be, and I must think this is the way the gods wanted it. My powers, once strong, are now weak, too weak, and so my time as the guardian has come and gone. I would not have it this way. I would not force this great responsibility on someone as young and bright and full of potential and promise as you, but... Here, Gavina imagined Aileen pausing and trying to find the best words, perhaps wiping a single tear away full of memories of love and conflict and sorrow that she'd rarely spoken of, even toward her and mentee Gavina, whom she treated like her own daughter. This decision is not mine to make. You came to me by providence because you are the chosen, and there is nothing you or I can do about that. May the gods lay their miserable and spiteful eyes upon you with mercy. Evil comes in many forms, and likewise the ones chosen to fight it. Our way is the rare way, the light of night, for we walk in the shadowy streets and wait for when we are needed. That time is again upon our land, and so upon you, my lovely girl. We are the way of the lantern, the glass, the burning wick, but we are also connected to the earth as those who come are, those who come to claim that which is not theirs. They will come as three, the children of my foe, Madame Griselda. Trust not their youthful smiles. Griselda and I were sisters once, in the Covenant North Barrack, along with Petter, whose time in Merchant Marine was past. But the satanic panic in the 1980s forced us to disband and left Griselda bitter. She called me a fool of the light. This sentiment she will have passed on to her children. They will regard you coldly. Be brave, lovely girl for you know within yourself where your strength lies. Your enemies are powerful, but you are greater. 
Be brave. I will be with you. Love, Aileen. Aileen had spoken often of the gods she believed in, the evils that fought for chaos, the followers of the Gaelic devil, Black Donald, and his quest to corrupt all the peoples and cover the land in ash and dark snow. She'd spoken of the power of the lantern and the glowing coals, the mirror and the prism and the faceted glass. These were all magical things, she had said, and beyond Black Donald's power to corrupt. But was any of it still powerful in the modern world? So Griselda had taken to the dark side alone, pushing away the way of light, forsaking duality and balance, when freedom and respect could not be achieved through cooperation and service to the people, it would be wrenched from the hands of non-believers via force. Petter was watching Gavina now, his brows knitted and eyes pinched. He didn't speak much of the anti-paganism he and Aileen had endured as they fled the mob from North Berwick, but Aileen had hinted at his bravery. How easy it would have been for he and Aileen to follow the way of darkness as Griselda had. Gavina took the second sheet of paper, the one with the verse, and spread it before her. The words were Gaelic, and she struggled to translate them. I can't read this, Petter. He took the sheet from her, his eyebrows rising. It's an old one, Gav. Something spoken even before the Druids walked the lands to the north, before the pagans built their mystic stone observatories. The opposite of light is not darkness. It is nothing. The opposite of darkness is not light. It is everything. When light and darkness converge, the consequence can be anything. He handed the paper back to her. I don't understand it, Petter. A book of Genesis reference? But the last line... I could guess, but that would be of little help to you. You must seek your own meaning. Aileen gave this to you for these times so your understanding is important. What could be coming? When she spoke of the dark times in the past, her words were always allegorical and inscrutable. Things about the children of the deep earth and forest, the creatures of the night, the spirits of the shadows. Crazy talk. Weren't they just silly tales meant to keep children in line? Not real-world evil? There isn't any difference. The stuff of nightmares speaks of real evil. She reread the verse. It's just a puzzle, an enigma. The consequence can be anything. Something outside the real world, like dividing by zero? Or that old saw about an unstoppable force striking an immovable object? What is infinity divided by infinity? Nothing, everything, or perhaps just one. His hands raised from a sketch he'd been fiddling with while he listened to her ranting, a doodle. She recognized it as the Celtic quaternary knot, infinite loops forming four points. It represented many things, the four primary directions, the four elements of nature, the four seasons, or the four Wiccan sabbats, the fire festivals. The last of them, Samhain, was three days away. Some called it Halloween. Samhain marked the end of the season of light and the beginning of winter, the season of darkness. In that transition, the veil that separated the physical world with the spirit world faded to ethereal thinness. In that time, the spirits, both good and evil, might leave the spirit world and walk the earth again. Fia cast the stones on the gray tile board, careful to keep them on the surface. Stones that left the board might fall either way, toward power or weakness, like smoke drifting from a wisping pipe or smudge-burning sage. Better to remove uncertainty and control all that was within one's grasp. That had always been Griselda's advice. She studied the six pieces, each one a different shape, size, number of facets, shades of gray and black. There was a pattern, and a surprise, a good one. The woman is truly dead, she said. The stones confirm it. Myrie, sitting opposite her at the table, lifted her thick black brows. Dorn, whose full name was Dorn Duve, Blackfist, hardly moved from where he sat on the one sofa, staring at his hands. They were very different, the three of them. 
How could they have crawled from the same womb within minutes of each other? Fia, as the firstborn, had become their leader by ancient covenant. Fia added, She is childless. Then it's done, said Dorn. He stood, leaving a depression in the dark red leather. He moved about the room in a slow-motion dance, touching things. The dark shade of a brass lamp that cast its light only downwards. Tinted glass jars of minerals and ground bone. A wide book of ancient maps with its charcoal leather cover turned open to one they'd been surveying for the three months since Griselda's death. The map of Inner Edinburgh. The city fifty miles away from their remote little-known castle. The place that was the subject of their thoughts every day since Griselda had wheezed her last malodorous breath and cursed them to bring the night down at last. Why do I still feel tension? said Myrie. Myrie, the one who is bitter. Bitter at being the youngest? I feel the woman's power still present. Nonsense, said Dorn. If the old hag's dead, her powers died with her. The time is now ours to claim Castle Hill as the witch's hallows and all the death shrine that lies in the bloody soil beneath it. Hundreds died there because of people's fearful hatred. It's all ours now. The witches will reign. He used the Gaelic word for witches, Bidsikian. Fia felt her sister's bitterness, like the darkest of chocolates, burnt blacker than black. She also felt her brother's excitement, his lust for the power that had so long been denied her kind. The promises of the dark angel, Black Donald. He was the breaker, destroyer of the non-Wiccan, builder of the dark age that was to come, fulfillment of the prophecies. When the power of the deepest earth would rise to sweep over the land like the wings of a great dark bird. Three days until Samhain, November 1st. One of the four fire festivals, and the most powerful, the beginning of winter. The dark winter they had all dreamed of as the followers of Griselda, the one who dwells in a gray castle, their mother. Gavina slept little for the following three days. She ran the shop during the four evening hours it was open, to maintain the routine, to keep curious eyes from gazing too deeply through the windows and into the shop's shadows, and of course to keep them fed. But all night and into the morning, she pored over the books of handwritten notes and observations, verses and incantations, everything Aileen had guided her with, spoken of, made her practice. She still didn't know whether most of it held any real power, or, even if it did, whether she knew how to invoke it. She was deeply lost in the special book Petter had given her days before, the thick, leather-bound volume of special quotes and verses each one meant for a different day. The verse for Halloween read this in ancient Gaelic, which Petter had translated. As the hours fall, so shall the veil. The dead and wicked will walk, and the two worlds shall be one, until light breaks in the east, and the spirits must rest again. Petter cleared his throat behind her, breaking her mood, so unearthly quiet when he wanted to be. He reached around her and turned the book's cover close. This will do you no more good tonight, girl. Then what will, Elder? All of this? She waved her hand toward the piles of books, scrolls, notebooks, and envelopes big and small, all old. I don't know what I could need, and what's just a waste of time. I don't even know the enemy. Yes, you do. The enemy is darkness. All those things you are not. It's dark now. Is the night our enemy? Not now, but it could be. I'm not talking about the time between sundown and sunup. I'm talking about the eternal darkness that rises from the world, not that which falls from the sky. Then how will I know it? How will I fight it? What did your friend and patron call you when you were morose or when you needed a good chastising to take this all seriously? Gavina couldn't answer for a moment. When she did, her voice was tight and brittle. Gavina, of course. Little Whitehawk. That's your spoken name. Its meaning comes in the day, when you're challenged by the physical world. What did she call you when you were challenged by the ethereal, 
Lantern Girl? Yes. It always felt silly, like she was making fun of me. Think on her name. What does it mean in the physical world? Aileen? Ray of sunshine? Aye. Not many were brighter than she, Gabby. Do you know her spirit name? No. She never spoke of it to me. But you know it. The same as yours. At least when she was young. Lantern Girl. A title passed down from olden times. She didn't choose your spirit name by chance or whim. When she found you with the homeless urchins, lighting trash can fires for the bums, she recognized your way. You are the way of the wick, the burning flame, the faceted glass, the light which guides carriages and ships and people through the night, through the underground. I don't feel that. You will, when you need to. I feel something, a shadow, like a black hemorrhage coming over the land, and I don't know how I can feel it. What you need now is rest. Get some sleep, Gavina. Darkness is not evil in itself. All living things need it for renewal, just as you do. But there's no time. I don't know what we're facing or how to prepare. Petter said nothing for a moment, measuring his words. Gavina, you are the way of fire. Not the fire that burns and destroys, but the fire that lights the way and enlightens the soul. You are the way of the lantern, the glowing ember, the fire that warms and heals. Did you think Aileen found you by chance? Nay, she was drawn to you as a kindred spirit. You are both the way of the lantern, the vessel of fire one may carry, and that's the weapon you must wield. He urged her to her feet and guided her toward the sleeping area in the back of the shop, but her mind refused to rest roiling with images and fears so that she didn't know if she slept or merely lay awake with her eyes closed, haunted by visions. Dorn led his siblings up the rising streets toward the Edinburgh Castle, leaping ahead of his sisters as he had done when they were younger, usually to Fia's annoyance. Age and cynicism had molded him into the snarling young man he'd become in their isolation in the old castle a more demonstrative counter to Myrie's quiet moroseness. His unbridled enthusiasm seemed to have returned. Beside Fia, Myrie seemed, if anything, even quieter. But even in her, the spark of adventure and anticipation had come to life, like a tiny struck match. It was late afternoon, cloudy, dead calm in the street, almost stale, but strong winds high up, driving the mottled gray and indigo clouds. October 31st. Halloween to the lay people, who totally missed the true meaning. The fire festival, disrespected as a barely remembered pagan event. High Street was populated, more than the last time Fia had walked it six years earlier, when her mother had dared to bring her, just the two of them, leaving Dorne and Myrie with a school acquaintance in Aberdeenshire. Griselda's words echoed in her head. The castle hill, Thea. That's where you'll make your stand. The blood and power of all those who were unjustly murdered there remain. It is time for the children of darkness to take back that power, and to take the land to where it was always meant to be. Time for the influence of those of us who see a better future. To overcome the fools who only see the naive innocence of lightness. Students moved around the street primer age in white and black uniforms, no tribal tartan allowed. Older higher school boys and girls, itching in their skins to become adults, wore everything and sometimes nearly nothing, some already in costumes, many of haunted things or demons, some absurdly in those of celebrities or food items or political characters from the news, but some in dark goth clothing that made Fia laugh. The gay human enthusiasm for the pagan holiday these would-be Wiccans, or followers of some other order they knew nothing about. The need to identify themselves as different, outside the norms of proper society. Oh, be patient, young souls. Your time will come. 
so soon now. That which is odd will become common. Those who are outcasts will rule. So comforting that all the tools she and her siblings needed were in their trendy red and black shoulder bags, easy to bring to this place without suspicion. Their gray and black clothing blended in well with the students, even the older ones, the university gyms, who thought the world revolved around them even more now than when they were primer age. Perhaps Fia, Dorn, and Myrie should just leave everything as it was so these pretentious elitists could find out how little the world cared about them. They worked their way west, uphill, climbing the cobblestones past the tourist shops. At the corner of Forest, Fia paused. Something felt strange there, like business left undone, like an oven left burning or letters unsent. Dorn was halfway up the next block before he realized she'd stopped. He loitered where he was, didn't return to where she stood. Annoyed, she gathered Myrie who'd stopped to watch her from the doorway of a bookseller, looking unperturbed. I thought we were in a hurry, said Dorn, when she and Myrie reached him. Were you looking to hail a cab? I felt something disturbing, Blackhead, Fia said, using the Gaelic Kiaun Duv. The old language was creeping into her speech more and more, as if she were channeling her mother and her kin. We're not alone here. He huffed. With the woman dead, no one else matters now. The grounds are ours for the taking. It's not the grounds I'm concerned about. It's the very earth. And arrogant complacency is a danger we cannot afford. She paused to listen and feel, but she felt nothing and heard nothing beyond the sounds of people and traffic and the rising wind and the high wires and towers. Even the light from the castle seemed subdued, as if expecting them. Maybe I'm overreacting, but let's prepare our things as soon as we can. They entered the open yard leading into the main entrance to the castle, the Esplanade, where the annual Fringe Festival was held. The thought of dozens of traditional and modern bands playing there, and tens of thousands of sweating people in that small, slanted concrete platform made her skin crawl. Myrie cast a cloak of mist and shadow over them, and they passed the gates just before the castle was closed for the evening. The landmark workers and the real soldiers walked by them without notice, as if they were invisible spirits. Though they weren't of the spirit realm, after this night they might live for ages, the guardians of the damned souls who had been murdered here. So many witches and innocent lay people had been caught in mob hysteria that descended on this place. May it all be made right in the night, and in the many days of blessed darkness that will follow. They walked around the winding, walled streets of the castle, up past the parade stages, around the tabernacle in the Hall of Heroes, to the highest observation lane, the best vantage point over the city. Ancient black cannons pointed outward at the sea, the land, the forests below, and toward Arthur's seat, the hill in Hollyrood Park, another site of witch-burning. They were surrounded by places of power the spirits would occupy over the days ahead. Myrie laid her pack down, withdrew a small stone pot the size of a grapefruit, and filled it with herbs and organic matter. She cast a spell of protection and isolation, warding off any of the night guard from coming to this high, stone-walled avenue. This was her work for the night, to keep her pot smoldering with the pungent leaves and bracken and moldy peat while Fia and Doran cast bigger things. When her incantation was complete, she settled onto a seat on the high wall where she could watch them. Doran swung his pack down and removed six black glazed bricks, cut into twelve halves on their long flat sides. He laid these in a circle about a half meter across. In this, he laid short rods of stainless steel he'd made for this occasion. The rods formed a grating in the bottom of this brick circle. He placed pieces of kindling from his pack on the grate, along with some paper as a starter and lit it with a red plastic wand lighter. With all of this, the pack had weighed three or four stone, but Dorn had the strength of the earth behind him and had carried it as one might a pack of duck feathers. Dorn represented the earth, Myrie the restless sea, and Fia the sky. And now they had applied the flame to wood, fire, the fourth element. The circle of physical and ethereal energies was complete. 
Fia laid her pack near the expanding fire, taking in the pleasant smells of burning wood. She could feel the terror of the ones burned at the pyre on the flat ground just over the wall far below them. Hear their cries and wailing. Hear their flesh and hair sizzle. Smell the stench. Anger rose within her, but she held it in check. And anger was rashness, and she needed a cool head. The darkness was not emotional. It was calm and relentless, and so must she be as well. She drew leather pouches from her pack, thirteen in all, herbs and bones and insect hives and the skin of reptiles. These things were not magical in themselves, but in the things they represented, the magic that had been ingrained in them by Fia's mother and her parents and grandparents before her. The items were hundreds of years old, some of them irreplaceable. Some Griselda had brewed, others Fia and Myri had concocted from the old journals, exactly as had been done generations before by those who had never seen ships and cars and television in the computer age. Had the world been a better place back then when things were simpler, as Griselda had lamented? Fia added these things to the fire in the order Griselda had taught, reciting the learned words. One by one, the ingredients of the eternal darkness, the endless winter, charred and burned in the low flames, sending gray and green smoke upward into the darkening sky, up toward the flying clouds. Yet the smoke did not blow away in the wind, but rose as if in its own invisible chimney toward the sky. As she added the last ingredient, the smoke paused for a few seconds. The air seemed to halt its elemental motion, and Fia couldn't breathe. Dorn's eyes widened, and his mouth opened and closed like a fish's or like a clenching fist. And then the moment passed, and the smoke doubled, dark and beautiful, like the mane of a mighty black horse. It rose in a twisting column up to the flying clouds, and then turned into an eerie mist, rolling back down over the city. This blanket of gray mist flowed from the castle, following the streets like coiling snakes. There was little to do but watch and wait, for the dark fog to complete its consumption, for the veil between the worlds to dissolve for the night, for the real work to begin, the building of a new time, a new world. But the fog had concealed the approach of another, the presence she'd sensed as they'd walked up High Street. From the lower part of the castle, two figures came up the stone street, both dressed in dark hooded jackets and dark clothing. One was a hulking form, bent over, probably from age, face hidden. The other was smaller, about Fia's size. They walked to where Fia and her siblings waited, all watching them now. The two set down their own backpacks, red and black leather, the best colors to hide at night. The small one pushed back its hood and revealed a young woman no older than Fia, with dark hair and moon-pale skin. Her huge eyes were haunting, like an owl's or a hawk's. Fia felt she knew this woman, even though she had never seen her before. You're the old woman's daughter, Fia said. The woman seemed taken aback by that, as if this were something she had never considered. The bigger figure pushed back its hood, revealing a gray-haired man with a wide forehead bent like his back and small eyes dancing with blue fire. The strange woman gazed at the sky. The blackness from the sea had crossed halfway now, engulfing the circle of darkness from the fire smoke. Dorn ignored the woman and her elder companion and added more wood. Myrie sat on the wall and kicked her feet. Her little pot continued to sizzle, although the need for it seemed to have come to an end. Very nice, said the young woman, continuing the gaze upward. I'm glad you like it. So ludicrous that this one would come now when it was far too late for an intervention. The elder man waited beside her, like a trite legend. I'm Fia, and your name? Gavina. Her own name sounded strange in her ears. Below the castle, the people of Edinburgh didn't realize something very wrong was happening in the sky. That the darkness falling was more than just a heavy cloud layer moving over the setting sun. Random sirens tweedied below, but in no greater number than a normal holiday evening. Across the expanse of foggy air, crowds were gathering on top of Arthur's seat. Not the safest place to be, probably. 
Gavina, hmm, the white hawk, said the young woman who'd called herself Fia, which meant dark peace. That name brought a fresh chill to the air. Are you the old woman's daughter? A pang, not heavy or deep, but sharp. No. She is, said Petter, by any measure that matters. And you are, asked the young man, who'd stepped forward. Your nightmare, said Petter, meeting his eyes coolly. My brother, Dorn, said Fia, and this is our sister, Myrie. The fist and the bitter one, said Petter. Appropriate. Well, this has been so nice, said Fia. But as you can see, we're rather busy. Why are you here? Her eyes flashed with malice. Gavina removed from her pack a small metal lantern as tall as her outstretched fingers, with straight glass sides set in a hexagonal shape. Then she took out a white paint pen and hesitated over the side of the lantern. Which one, Petter? she asked. Petter eyed the three young people marveling at them. Make it the Triquetra. There is worthy power in that one. The Triquetra, symbol of interwoven trinity, of body, mind, and spirit, or the elements of land, sea, and air, or the three stages of life, child, adult, elder. She nodded and drew a simple Celtic knot with three points on the metal base of the lamp. The pagan symbol shone boldly white against the dull gray steel of the lantern and seemed to sparkle with its own internal energy. Such ancient beauty in it, and hidden power. Next, she pulled a lighter from her pocket, chanted quietly, lit the lantern, and set it on the stone at her feet. Immediately it flared, pushing white light from the lamp, brighter and brighter. Resting on the stone, it resembled a model lighthouse from a child's electric train set. The light expanded in a bubble of clean air, wider and wider, pushing wisps of dark fog away from the castle street. Fia's brow furrowed in dark shadows. Dorn, crush that thing. Dorn stepped forward and stomped the lantern, leaving it a tiny hulk of metal and broken glass. The flame sputtered and died, and the wisps of fog reappeared. That wasn't it, said Gavina. She took an identical lantern from her pack. Maybe the triskeel? Worth a try, said Petter. Doran stepped forward to seize the new lamp, but Fia stayed him with a gesture. Let her try again. This amuses me. Gavina drew a design with three spiral swirls connected to a central hub, then lit the lantern and set it on the pavement. The triskeel, another symbol of Trinity, this one associated with movement, a moving forward, a hope that it would touch the three foes before her with light and enlightenment. Again, the flame came up and brightened, and the dark fog cleared away. Again, Dorn stepped forward and crushed the lantern with his heavy black boot. The flame died, and the fog returned. Nope, said Gavina. What next? We tire of this game, White Hawk, said Fia. The time for your ways is gone and our time is here. Dorn, see them out. Gladly. He stepped toward Gavina. Not a good idea, said Petter, not moving from where he stood at Gavina's side. Get out, old man. You're moving on. We'll let you live in a dank old castle out in the fin somewhere. He seized Petter's elbow and shoulder and shoved, but there was hidden power in Petter he hadn't counted on. They struggled and grappled, but the younger man was the stronger and moved Petter back down the street toward the castle entrance. I'd hate to kill another witch on these haunted grounds, Dorn said, but I'll throw you over the wall, I swear it. Petter leaned away, pulled a dark device from his pocket, and pointed it at Dorn. There was a harsh electric buzz, and Dorn staggered back, fell to the ground and rocked in tremors. A taser? Petter had not told Gavina about that. Petter said, Remember, youngin, old age and treachery beat youth and skill. Gavina pulled another small lantern from her pack. You're wasting time, little bird, said Fia. Your weak powers are nothing, even if we don't destroy your little match lights. Three of you, for the basic elements, correct? said Gavina. Let me guess. Dorn is earth, 
miry a sea, and you, dark peace, are the sky. Astute of you, but no one to represent fire. We use it as we need to, as you can see. She pointed to the smoldering cauldron and the brick fire and its column of black smoke, which was thicker and more violent since Petter and Gavina had arrived. I see that you use it, said Gavina, but you don't really understand it. With the white pin, she drew another symbol on the lantern, a single spiral. She chanted quiet words as she drew it. She set the lantern down and lit it, and, like before, its light bloomed and pushed away the dark fog and gloom. The simple spiral, she said, symbol of ethereal energy, the symbol of the flame, the fourth element, the one that is mine. Fia eyed Dorn, who is now lying bleary-eyed on the stones, panting. She shook her head. Then Fia stepped toward the lantern. Petter moved to block her. Let her come, Petter. We can't guard the light every hour of every day. He allowed Fia room to pass. She walked to the lantern and reached to pick it up. As her hand closed, white light flared from the glass and she jerked her hand back. She swore. She curled her hands into fists and let them burst open, and a great breeze rose and swirled about the lantern, catching and casting leaves and dirt and dark smoke from the cauldron. The wind rattled the lantern, pushed it so that it leaned as if about to topple, but the flames swelled like when one blows on a campfire, and the lantern remained upright. The gloom and smoke retreated further. The black column of smoke seemed to bend away. Fia swore again. She waved her sister forward. Myri, quench the damn thing! The younger sister, kicking her black shoes and looking unconcerned, jumped down from the wall. She placed her fingers on her lips, then opened her hands and chanted inaudible words. Immediately, rain fell on the castle, as if an umbrella that had been protecting them had been stolen away. Gavina and Petter tightened their cloaks, but the cold water struck their faces and ran down their necks into their inner clothing. Driving, the rain struck the lantern with a great hissing and billowing of steam, and the lantern rattled on a stone like a carnival popcorn popper sounding off, spinning in a tight circle. The flame dimmed, but only for an instant before it found its shape and grew brighter again, punishing the offending wind and rain for challenging in it. The gloom and smoke and darkness retreated further from the landing, as if a great white moon were hanging above and painting it in pale white light. Myrie stood with her unusually long arms hanging at her sides, like one wilted and washed in the rain, which had not touched her. Dorn had recovered at this point and rushed the lantern, but the ground under his feet rumbled and buckled and he fell to his hands and knees several feet away. He cursed and thrust his scraped, bleeding hands into his armpits. Gavina, the white hawk. No, really a white dove, but also the lantern girl, just like her spiritual mother before her, the shining Eileen, lifted the still-burning lantern by the thin metal ring attached to its top and hung it on a hook in the courtyard's wall that seemed to have been placed there for just that purpose. The rain had quenched the cauldron, and the smoke from it was white and weak. As Gavina watched, it fell to nothing. The black column of smoke from the pit fire was now just a wisp, lolling and squirming like a thin black snake writhing in the refreshing breeze that had risen from the east. Hmph, said Fia. She walked over to lean over the castle wall overlooking the city and the revelry growing louder. A fair spell, but too late. The veil has been lifted and the spirit world has entered Edinburgh. She crooked a black-nailed finger downward. Gavina and Petter rushed to the wall. Below, the Halloween revelers were still milling about, moving between shops and taverns, which were all open and lighted. The noise of shouts and firecrackers and songs swelled as a fire may when blown. From several places, the sound of things breaking came. Glass shattered as if dropped, hard blows against wood, car horns honking. As they watched, a group of dark-clad youths blocked a car, waving their arms. It all seemed mostly harmless pranks, but some of those who moved in the crowd carried with them odd shadows, like barely visible shrouds. The others around them paid them no more heed than they did the others. But these shadowed ones moved with purpose, 
and where they went the pranks grew louder, more insistent. One such figure led a group of youths to throw rocks at a shop window, breaking the plate glass, then moving away in wicked laughter. Dark spirits, muttered Petter. They lead only mischief now. The worst will come. I should know. Fia said, The weak-minded are easily led to evil. When the spirits walk free, the people will know that evil exists in their pretty little world, and they will need us, need those they've forsaken and oppressed to help them, and our power will rise. Gavina ran and seized her lantern from the hook. It glowed strongly, none the worse for its trial, but she was feeling tired suddenly, as if she were the fuel keeping the flame aglow. Come, Petter, we must go to the streets and try to drive the spirits back to their home. Fia chuckled. Good luck, little hawk. You can drive some away, surely, but you can't be everywhere at once. And the spirits now walk throughout Edinburgh. And as you can see, even in the places beyond. She waved her arm to indicate the lands around the city, the hills across the water. Petter and Gavina ran from the high courtyard, down the winding streets of the castle, through the gates and over the sloping esplanade, where a marching band was playing and costume revelers danced. Among them were shadow people, whose looks were more real and not disguise. Tall men in soldiers' uniforms, real weapons at their sides, thin-armed women with pale skin like Gavina's, whose expressions were centuries older than their skin, pale children stealing candy and garments and then running into the crowd, their eerie shadows passing with them like thin cloth caught in the breeze of their passing. Everywhere Gavina went, the light from her lantern drove the spirits away. They shrank back into the real shadows of doorways, shops, and alleys, disappearing in the liquid darkness. But Gavina's legs had used their last strength running from the castle, and every step was like wading through dark mud. When they reached the crowd on Market Street, she moved to the entrance of one empty, dark shop to catch her breath. Petter joined her, eyeing the crowds with suspicion. The shadows of spirits moved within, a frightening number of them from where she stood. She's right, Petter. She paused to breathe. I can't walk all of Edinburgh streets with my lantern. I can't be everywhere at once, and the spirits will merely slip away and cause chaos elsewhere. Her knees grew weak, and her head swam. Seeing her distress, Petter helped her reach a window stoop where she could rest. If only there were more of you, he said. One of Aileen was always enough. Around them, the young people moved in singing and laughing groups, dressed in every manner of disguise, from zombie and sexy vampirellas to toothy monsters and killer clowns, and among them, only recognized by Petter and Gavina, real evil spirits moved and conjoled and led the celebrants into more and more destructive pranks. The sounds of screams and things breaking and evil laughter were a grim counterpoint to the music coming from all directions. If only I could recruit help, she said. Around her, many of the partiers were carrying lights of their own. Small flashlights, cell phones with bright screens, and a few the colored wands that glowed with chemical fluorescence when the internal sections were broken and joined. She and Petter offered glow sticks in her shop always a big seller during nighttime outdoor events. She couldn't be everywhere at once, but perhaps her fire could. The light from the sticks did nothing to drive away the shadow spirits, but what if that fire were hers? Petter, run to that shop and buy as many of the glow sticks as you can carry. He looked puzzled. Glow sticks? Yes, quickly please, while I summon my strength. Without hesitating, he left her and ran to the shop she'd pointed to, a bookstore and emporium that, like many of the others on Market Street, carried seasonal holiday items, including Halloween accessories. She sat and focused, drawing energy from around her, the frenetic movements of the people, the shaking of the earth beneath them, the wind blowing over her. She heard a raven's call and looked toward its source, the castle wall high up. There, the three young witches she'd fought stood, looking down at her. They lifted their hands and the wind rose and hard ice pellets began to fall. The ground beneath her vibrated. The partiers in the street around her took this all in stride. It was October in Edinburgh, 
for God's sake, and the weather would do as it was wont. Petter returned with dozens of pale white glow sticks in his arms, each about a foot and a half long. Between puffing breaths, he said, I bought all they had, miss. I hope this is enough for what you're thinking. The raven's call came again, and he looked up where the three witches were casting spells against them. He muttered a dark curse. Thanks, Petter. Hand them to me one after another when I'm ready. She stood and held her lantern before her, passing her finger over the symbol she'd written there, the simple single spiral. The element of fire, the maker for the worthy, the destroyer in the wrong hands, but tonight, the illuminator. As she drew her finger over the symbol, the lantern flared and burned in a prism of pastel colors. People around her gasped and laughed, except for the few shadow spirits, who snarled and disappeared into the dark. Now, Petter, a glow stick, please. He placed one of the sticks in her outstretched hand. It felt cool and hard, lifeless like the wand of wax that it was. As some around her watched, she eased the tip of the stick into the lantern's flame. There was a flash and sizzle and the smell of burning wax, and then the stick flared at its tip. She pulled it out, and it glowed at the end with a beautiful prismatic flame. She held it high for all around her to see. Minnie clapped. A lone spirit looking over the crowd moaned and slipped away. I want one of those, said a teenage girl in a pirate costume near her, turning as if to go to a shop to buy one. Take this one, friend, said Gavina, handing the glow stick to her. Take it all over the city and light the way for others. Pass the flame. Cool. The girl fairly danced away, showing her prize to all those around. Other partiers pushed into where Gavina and Petter stood. She lit one stick after another, each one glowing with a different flame, different colors. With each, Gavina asked the person given to run through the city lighting the way for others. In minutes, she had lit all the sticks and given them away, and the circle of light they emitted seemed to grow and brighten the street. There were no shadow spirits in sight. The three figures on the castle wall stood motionless, watching. She was exhausted, as only a flame could be. But when she and Petter walked toward their shop, others had heard of her. The woman with the little lantern. Young people came to her from all directions, asking her to light their glow sticks as she'd done for the others. She found that she could light even the sticks that had given up their chemical life, now dead rods of wax. The light she gave them was no less than the light from the sticks that were new. The night passed, and despite her fatigue, her death on her own feet, she and Petter walked the town. They had to make the light grow to take the whole city and the lands beyond and they needed to stay awake and light the way until morning came, when the veil between the worlds would close, and the spirits be back in their world. Days passed, and Gavina spent an afternoon doing something she had grown to love, walking all the streets of Edinburgh in the winter snow. But it wasn't a dark snow. The overcast sky was lit from above by the moon and the stars, and heavenly bodies she couldn't name. The threatening sky on Samhain had been written off by the media as a result of an unexpected bomb cyclone off the coast and wildfires on the continent, even though the meteorological scientists proclaimed neither of those causes credible. In the beautiful, ethereal lightness of being that followed, no one cared. She chose this day to walk the length of the Princess Street Gardens, admiring the rounded shapes of powdery snow over the hedges and brambles and trees of all sizes and shapes, like phantom ghouls caught out in the open on All Hallows' Even, and frozen there, trapped until the thawing of the spring equinox, the Wiccan Eoster. From there, she circled the castle from low down and found the magical place where she caught a glimpse of her little lantern hanging from the wall, hidden in plain sight, unbothered. For weeks now it had burned continuously, without oil being added, without her hand to adjust the wick, without someone to clean the glass. She headed back east to the modern shops and businesses in the weekday afternoon bustle they raised, citizens of Edinburgh moving in concert, like a choreographed dance on the walks and in the streets. In many cities, they might grumble and hunch their shoulders in this breezy snow, but not here. 
There was a lightness and life to the city which the sky's gloom couldn't quench, but only fed. As she approached the shop, a small figure dressed in drab gray clothing moved from a doorway shadow toward her. In a croaking, elderly voice, the figure said, Might I have a word with you, young woman? Yes, of course. The figure pushed back its gray hood to reveal the face of a young woman. Fia, said Gavina. That was an impressive spell, said the young witch in her normal voice, youthful, with a bit of sneer, but also a note of respect. We won't be victim to that one again. It doesn't have to be a new war, Fia. We, you, me, your sister and brother, are all not very different. The past murders of witches hurt us as if we were the ones lost on the pyres. But I will never let the world burn or hide in darkness because of that shame and guilt. And you don't have to follow that path either. Fia shook her head. So poetic and uplifting. And naive. We've tried the way of acceptance and outreach for hundreds of years, and the result is always the same. Promises made. But in the end, there is only persecution. My mother and the others like her have long since tired of the dream of acceptance. I can't deny the tragic history of our kind, but I can't give up hope. But you and I need each other, like the two curves of the Gaelic yin and yang, the symbols of balance and complementary strength. We are two poles of the spiritual magnet, just as your mother, Griselda, and my ward, Aileen, were. Without each other, to balance our ways and power, we can be nothing but a danger to our own people, to those who don't follow the craft. Don't you see that? I see only a fool who thinks things will ever change by doing the same thing. This isn't 1597, said Gavina, the time of the great witch hunt. Nor is it the satanic panic. We have new ways to communicate now. Many witches are reaching out on social media. Many are joining us. We no longer have to hide in the shadows. Oh, that sounds dandy. It really does. But look more deeply into the media traffic and you'll find the new panic, fool. They're called conspiracy theories, and the ones spreading them don't need churches or traveling evangelists or television. They have QAnon and other haters doing it for them. You feel safe and cozy here in Edinburgh, but they'll be coming for you, for your little cute occult shop. The true evil ones will never give up their persecution. Gavina reached in her pocket and found a business card. On the front was the name and address of her shop, Miss Aileen's Mysteries and Potions. On the back was the symbol of the simple spiral. She offered it to Fia, who took it with suspicion. Gavina said, Each alone, we are only one way. Together we can change things. You three are the ground and the earth and the air of which all things are made but I am the spark which can give it all life. Together we can do anything. Fia held the card up, and it disappeared in a puff of smoke. If I need you, I know where to find you. Fia pulled her hood back over her head, once again a nondescript elder doddering through the streets of Edinburgh. She soon disappeared into the darkness of an alley. When light and darkness converge, the consequence can be anything back to High Street, into the shop and in the door, shaking her cloak and knocking her boots together, donning the leather slippers she kept in the alcove at the door. Petter was there, dusting potion bottles and spell books. Gavina said, Have you noticed? Such a lovely afternoon. She cleared papers from her desk and moved a ledger Petter had apparently laid there, open to yesterday's accounts. Was she a fool, as Fia said, to only feel the light? ignoring the dark which gave the light its purpose. She really did need Fia, the dark one and her siblings. Petter, it's only three weeks until the Yule. Before it comes, there are quite a few things we must do. That was When Darkness Falls on Edinburgh by C.J. Eric. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, We'd love it if you'd leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you listen to us on. Or, better yet, share the magazine and podcast with a friend. 
If you'd like to listen to more speculative fiction, visit us online at magazine.metaphoricist.com or on Twitter at metaphoricistmag.